second Bible reading tonight is from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 to 40. <clears throat> now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you of this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. For now on those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly towards the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matters in his own mind who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must, be, must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think that I, too, have the Spirit of God. This is God's word. Thank you, Philip, for reading the Bible. Our friends, uh, after our sermon tonight, after this talk, there will be times for questions, and the number will come up soon so, and throughout the talk. So you can text your questions in, uh, and, and we'll answer some of these. Now, we may not answer all of them, and so... Please do take the opportunity after our service here in a hall to discuss, ask more questions. But why don't you take a moment now to turn around, welcome each other, grab an outline for tonight. That will, uh, you'll find that helpful, particularly for this topic tonight. So uh, do that and I'll call you back shortly.
Okay, friends, well, let's make a start. Do keep your Bibles open to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, let's, let's ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, as we come to this passage and as we consider the topic of singleness, help us to think about it rightly. And those of us who are single and married, help us to honour it as an honourable estate. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, we've come to the last of our talk in our mini-series on relationships. We've looked at marriage and sex. And each of these topics, each of these um, uh, themes and issues we've considered, they've been so counter-cultural. And even if you think about it, revolutionary, particularly in our political climate, the way we think about sex and the way we think about marriage. You see, what the Bible teaches about marriage and sex might be hard for our society and for our world to understand and to accept. But when we understand it as God teaches us, it is good. Marriage and sex is good and very good in God's design and purpose. Now, if, you, if you've come today for the first time, you've missed those talks, you can download that online. But tonight we'll be looking at the topic of singleness. And I suspect as countercultural this series has been, Tonight's topic is perhaps the most countercultural and, uh, and the most profound and the most radical. And that's because, from the point of view of our society, you see, if you Christians say that sex is only for marriage, what that then means is that if you are single and single for life, it means that you'll never ever have sex, you'll never experience that. And so, in the eyes of this world, they think and they see that it's just ludicrous, that is nonsensical, that does not make sense. But you see, we as Christians, we see that chaste singleness is in fact good. It is in fact an honourable estate if we understand the scriptures correctly. You see, singleness often is not understood correctly and often is not just the world but the church and family and friends and even ourselves. There are pressures that comes from all direction that says marriage is the norm, that you should and must get married. You see, the pressures come from even from within the church. Singleness, and wrongly so, is sometimes viewed lowly as not so good. And so there's this perception that everyone must get married that you lack something if you don't get married. But then there are also pressures from peers and friends uh, when they get engaged and when they get married and they post on Facebook. For some, that is, that is pressure. For some, it's uncomfortable. And then there are pressures that come from some parents. Some parents would, would want to have grandkids. Give me some grandkids. What are you doing? Hurry up and get married. And of course, there are pressures that come from the single person themselves, himself, herself. My loneliness won't be satisfied until I'm married or my sexual needs must be satisfied and so I must get married. And so singleness is often viewed as either nonsensical or weird or strange or even with suspicion. But you see, all these perceptions and understanding of singleness are all wrong and must be corrected by scripture. And so what does the Bible say? Is singleness to be despised? Is singleness to be viewed with suspicion? Are singles to be pitied? 
or does it say something else? Well, what we'll hear today is countercultural. It is radical and it is really up to us, the Christians, the people of God, to not only think and behave rightly about sex and marriage but also about singleness so that singleness retains its rightful, honoured place. And so what we'll see today is that both singleness and marriage is not everything. It is also not anything and it's also not nothing. I'll explain what I mean. Firstly, singleness and marriage is not everything. Now what I mean by this is that it is not the be-all and end-all. And so there's no need to be caught up, so caught up with either staying single or getting married. That's the main focus of our life. You see, that, that that is my life and that my life is somehow incomplete or on hold until I find someone. I mean, that's the romantic Hollywood view of life, isn't it? That your life is somehow on hold until you find that Mr. Right or Miss Right. Not Mrs. Right, right? That will be married. You know, the chick flick type of stuff. You know, my life is incomplete. My life is lacking. It's empty until that Tarzan in shining armour swings in, grabs me and takes me into the sunset on his horse. You know, mixing <laughs> metaphors and movies there. And then you're off into the sunset and there's nothing to do there. But anyway, Paul says, whatever your status in life, whether you're married or single, don't be enslaved by it. Don't be caught up by it. Don't be consumed by it because there is something that is far bigger. There is something that is far more important, far more urgent, far more pressing. And Paul tells us, because the time is short. The time is short. And that's why Paul says here, stay as you are. Don't get so caught up with whether you're single or married. Stay as you are with whatever your life stage because there is a present crisis. So let's look at this, verse 25 to 28. Have a look. Paul says, now about virgins. Now virgins is speaking to the singles, those who have never married. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life and I want to spare you this. So what is this present crisis that Paul speaks of? Well, the crisis he speaks of is not just a crisis specific to the time of the Corinthians, but it's a a crisis that applies to Christians of all time and even us today. And Jesus himself gives us a hint of what this crisis is. You see, when Jesus lived his life on earth, when he was heading towards Jerusalem, heading towards the cross, heading towards the crucifixion. He said to his followers or those who wanted to follow him to be his disciples, he said to them, don't make excuses. Don't make excuses. And Jesus said this. He said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Far more important than your family allegiance, 
is doing the work of God to spread the news of the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus is saying the kingdom of God has come. Now people can be saved. People can have the assurance and the confidence of going to heaven. And Jesus goes on to say that he will return one day. Jesus is returning. The time is short. He is returning to judge the living and the dead. And so this is urgent. This is the present crisis. And so don't get caught up with getting married or staying single. And so Paul goes on to explain this. Have a look, verse 29 onwards. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they have not, had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. You see, this life will end. But there will be something greater. The marriages in this world, in this life, will end. But there will be something greater. And we know that marriages end. I mean, at a wedding, what are the vows made? How long? Well, it is as long as we both shall live as long as we both shall live. And so marriage ends with our death. And so as closely I am connected to Yvonne in marriage, as tightly I am cleaved to her, remember the word cleave, like an incurable disease that is stuck on a person. You can't get rid, she can't get rid of me. And so as closely we are bonded in marriage, that marriage will not last beyond the grave. If I die first, then Yvonne will become a widow she'll become single again. If she dies first, I'll become a widower. I'll become single again. And so singleness and marriage is not everything. And we must remember that, not to idolise marriage like it's the best thing ever. I mean, marriage is a good thing, good thing given by God to humankind, but it is not the best thing. And so married couples here, we need to remember this. If you are married, we are not to idolise our marriage. We are not to become so introverted and so inward focused on our marriage and on our relationship that our marriage becomes a selfish, self-seeking me thing. That is not the purpose of marriage. If we do that, we forget the the, the community of God, the church, the, the people we are to love and serve and to build up. You see, in heaven... There won't be the biological boundaries we see now where I belong to this family, you belong to that. We won't have that in heaven. I have this surname, you have that one in heaven. There won't be any of that. In fact, in heaven there won't be any racial boundaries. There won't be any ethnic boundaries. There won't be any language boundaries. There won't be any cultural boundaries because all Christians alike will become this great multitude, the bride of Christ, intimately, everyone intimately, personally loved and cherished by Christ the groom. And so singleness and marriage is not everything. Now for this sermon what I did was I asked uh, two single women from our church about their singleness and how they cope and and their struggles and what they do. And their answers have have been quite profound and very helpful, helpful so I'll share some of their responses throughout this sermon. Now, one of these ladies, she was very realistic 
about not idolising marriage. And she sees this from her own experience. She said this. She said, I have friends who married non-Christians. A friend who was forced to be married because of cultural pressure. A friend who married, who is married with an unloving husband. A marriage ended with divorce. To be honest, sadly, I meet only a small number of Christian families who I really look up to. So I'm quite happy with God's plan for me, either single or married. You see, she was realistic about not idolising marriage. She sees that there is something bigger and better than either being single or married. There's something bigger than the present reality. And so singleness and marriage, it is not everything. We don't live for it. We don't be enslaved by it. We don't be consumed by it. Marriage will end. Life will end. And the time is short because Christ is returning soon. That is the present crisis. But now, just as singleness and marriage is not everything, it is also not anything. It is not whatever we want to make it out of it. It is not unimportant because there is a purpose to both singleness and marriage. Now, now the purpose of marriage is quite clear. We've tackled that, we've looked at that over the past few weeks. But what could possibly be the purpose of singleness? You see, it's a strange idea, a radical idea, that anyone will claim that being single is good. In remaining single is good, in choosing singleness is good. That is a strange idea. That is a weird idea. You see, in the Old Testament, singleness was not normal. What was normal was that people got married, have kids, start families. In fact, that was a blessing from God and still is today when you do have kids. And so it was like that in the ancient world as well. During the time of Jesus and Paul, the Christian interest in celibacy and virginity and the affirmation to choose chaste singleness was seen as strange and weird. It was a new idea. It was the uh, departure from, from the social norm. It was a new way of life that was never faced by the Greco-Roman world. And of course it was also a departure from what seems to be normal in the Old Testament because the idea of the goodness of singleness that really only started with Jesus himself a single person and continued with Paul and that bothered the pagan Roman world. And why would these Christians think this way? But of course the church did go a bit too far. You know, a bit of church history. They thought then it was more spiritual to be celibate, to be unmarried, to be a virgin for life. And so came things like monasteries and nuns and, and monks and where priests were forbidden from getting married. You see, that, that's gone too far. That was, however, corrected during the Reformation when they read scripture and understood it and obeyed it. But even today, for anyone to say it is perfectly okay it is perfectly fulfilling to live 70 years, 80 years, 90 years and to have never had sex. People would look at you strange. Why would you ever say that? What's wrong with you? But you see, Paul says singleness is not just anything because there is a good purpose in singleness. And so Paul goes on to show that the purpose of both the single and the marriage 
is to be devoted to God. That is the higher calling. You are single for service of God. You are married for service of God. And that's why he's telling us here in this passage the reality of being single or married and how that affects our devotion to God. So he wants the Corinthians and he wants us today to stay focused and not lose focus. And so have a look in verse 32. He said, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. And so he's saying if you are single, you are in a privileged position. You have the freedom, you have the ability, you have the choice to give your life in undivided devotion to the Lord, to be focused, to be undistracted. It is a good place to be, to be single. And then he goes on, verse 33. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. Now he's not saying here that the man, the the family man, is not honouring God or not serving God as he serves his wife and, and children. He's not saying that. But what he is saying is that compared to the single man, he has added responsibilities in life. You see, a family man has responsibilities that a single man does not have and will not face. A married man, a family man, he's got responsibility for not just the physical well-being of the family but also the spiritual well-being. You see, a husband and a father is responsible spiritually for his wife and children and that is a huge responsibility often overlooked. And so what this means is that his responsibilities are then divided. And so if all things are equal, the married man just does not have as much time as the single man to do the things of God. He can't disciple as many as he likes. He can't meet up with as many people and do that uncover thing as he likes because he has a wife. He has kids to be responsible for, which is no less important. And even in this past week, Yvonne's been sick for most of this week and still a bit sick and that affected me, affected my capacity for work this week. I mean, if we were not married, if she got sick, I wouldn't care. No, I would be a friend or whatever. But you see, now that we're married, it affected me in a bigger way. And so Paul goes on to explain that it's the same for the woman. Have a look, verse 34. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs of this world. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, in undivided devotion to the Lord. And if you think about this, the Christian community has benefited so much from single individuals disciples who have given their life in undivided devotion to the Lord. People like Dick Lucas, some of you may have heard of him, a single man who really transformed a small church in London into a a, a strong reform evangelical church. I don't know, man, uh, John Stott, who wrote The Cross of Christ, single man, did so much for God in this world. And even here in, in Melbourne, Peter Adam, former principal of Ridley College, a single man in his older days now. He's got freedom to travel the world, to speak at conferences, to serve churches, to disciple men. 
something that would have been largely restricted if he was married. And of course, if you think about this, even in our own congregation, there are many, many widows who remain unmarried after their husbands have passed away. And they serve, they serve God, they serve our church in undivided devotion to the Lord. One of the ladies, remember how asked some two ladies questions about their thoughts on singleness? One of the ladies I asked about what benefits are there in being single, she said this, Singleness is a very privileged position to be in. I have more time and flexibility to serve God and others, study full-time at Bible college, leaving to work overseas as a missionary. I mean, she has that flexibility that, that would not be if she was married. If Yvonne wanted to go study full-time at Bible college, she's going to look after the kids. She's going to do a lot of the stuff around the home and help me. <laughs> and so it makes you think, doesn't it? If only your minister was unmarried. Right? If only your minister did not have a wife and kids, he could do so much more for you. Now that might help you think about the next one. But I'm married, so you have to bear with me. So singleness and marriage is not everything. It is also not anything because it has a purpose and it is for undivided devotion to the Lord. But now singleness and marriage is not everything. It is also not anything, but it is also not nothing. It is not insignificant. It is not accidental. It is is not nothing. And for this, I'd like us to have a look at an earlier verse in chapter 7. So have a look now a bit earlier. What Paul says earlier on is that singleness and marriage is not nothing because they are both gifts from God. Whatever your status is in life, whatever stage you're at in life, that is God's gift to you. And so we see this in verse 7. Have a look. Paul says, I wish that all men were as I am, that is, unmarried, but each man, not some men, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now, we all know that marriage is a gift, but many people think, that, think and believe that only some people have the gift of singleness. And so what that means is that you've got those who are married, so they've got the gift of marriage, and some people think that they're out of the population of singleness, there are only some with the gift of singleness. And so what that means is that it leaves a third category in the middle. A third category of single people who don't have the gift of singleness and who are waiting or wanting desperately for the gift of marriage, which may or may not come. And so those with the gift of singleness, this is how some have thought this and understood this, some, uh, those with the gift of singleness are those without any sexual desire. And so somehow their, their hormones have been extracted out of their, wherever hormones hang around, in the brain or whatever or at least they're extremely self-controlled. And so the uncontrolled third group are those who have to go crazy and find a wife or husband. Now, some have thought that way, three categories, those with the gift of marriage, those with the gift of singleness, and this third group. But is, this what, is that what this passage says? 
Well, that's how some have understood this, but it is not the case at all. You see, what Paul does is he puts everyone into only two categories. If you are single, you've got the gift of singleness. If you're married, you've got the gift of marriage. Now, that's how some have read these next couple of verses. Now, have a look at verses 8 and 9. Paul goes on to say, Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now what this is not saying is that if you are a single and you're uncontrolled, then you need to go out and hunt for that wife or husband and remain uncontrolled. That's not the case at all. That's not what that is saying. Rather, what I think it is saying is this. If you are already in a relationship and you have aroused or awakened love, then you'd better get married rather than continue to be tempted and to burn. This past week we met a, a couple or uh, a couple just dating, not married yet. And we had to counsel this couple. You, you've awakened love already. You better quickly work towards marriage. Otherwise, you're playing with fire. And that's because, you see, once love has been awakened, once love has been aroused, it's leading somewhere, it wants to go somewhere, it wants to be fulfilled, it wants to be consummated and that can't happen until marriage. And that's really the big teaching of the book The Song of Songs, which is really a book about intimacy and sex. It teaches not to arouse or awaken love until it so desires. If love has been awakened, get married. And that's why uh, a principle I teach to our youth and any single, you only date when marriage is in view and when marriage is in breach. Otherwise, you're just playing with fire. You're opening yourself to be tempted and to burn. And so this makes sense of the final verses in our chapter. Have a look now at verse 36. We'll jump there. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to. Now, in the ancient world, you weren't engaged in the way we understand engagement now. Today, engagement, how do you break it off? Well, the girl just pulls off the ring and chucks it in the guy's face and the engagement's over, right? In the ancient world, you can't do that. They were betrothed and the only way to break it off was to divorce. It was binding and so that's what happened with Mary and Joseph in the Christmas story. But anyway, you can be betrothed in the ancient world when you were three years old, when you were young. Your parents arranged it for you and when you come of age, then you get married. And so it's a bit like a um, arranged marriage situation. When you come of age, you marry the person your parents have picked for you. Now, some people don't like that idea, but I quite like it. I mean, I've been thinking about the kids in our Sunday school and I'm matching up Esther, Caleb and Ethan and I want to talk to the parents. How about we get them, you know, the kids might not be happy when they come of age, but will be and that's what matters, right? But anyway, look at verse 36. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years, that is, she is beyond the marriageable age, she is ripe, she's ready to be married, and he feels he ought to marry, since it would be socially improper to leave her hanging, waiting to get married. And so he goes on, he should do as he wants, he is not sinning. 
he should get married. And so he has the freedom to marry. And then verse 37, But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will and who has made up in his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does right. And so that is, he decides, let's not go ahead. Though we were betrothed, that was the arrangement with our parents, let's not go ahead with the marriage. Let's call it off so that you can and I can be devoted in undivided devotion in the service of the Lord. And then verse 38, Paul says, So then, he who married the virgin does right, but who, he who does not marry her does even better. And so what is Paul saying in all of this? Well, he's really saying singleness and marriage is not nothing. They are both good gifts from God. And so if you are single, that is your gift now. There's no third category. If you're single, that is your gift. When marriage comes along, then that will become your gift. You have the freedom to remain single. It is a good thing. And when you have that opportunity, you have the freedom to get married. That is a good thing too. And so what have we seen? Singleness and marriage is not everything because the time is short. Christ is returning. Singleness and marriage is not anything because it has a purpose for undivided devotion to God. That is our bigger calling. Singleness and marriage is not nothing because they are both God's good gifts to us. And so now by way of implication, as your pastor, as your minister, I really have a word now to say to the single amongst us and then I'll have a word to say to the married amongst us. And so firstly, to the singles, two things. Singleness should not be wasted. If your current status as a single is a gift from God and you can use your singleness in undivided devotion to God, don't waste your privilege now. Don't live life as though your life is on hold for something better. Don't live life as though you're lacking something. Don't live life like you need sex. Remember we heard in a previous week, sex is not a personal need. It is a marital need. It is the marriage that needs it, not the person. And don't live a life where you feel like you always have to be dating someone. And so you move on from dating one person, that breaks up, you move on to break another, date another person, that breaks up, you date another person, that breaks up. What are you actually learning there when that is your life? Always in a dating relationship that breaks up. What are you learning? Well, you're learning how to do love and relationship badly. Doesn't work, just break it up. Doesn't work, just break it up. Doesn't work, just break it up. You see, you're not really learning the good principles of marriage, of loyalty, of faithfulness, of devotion. And so, date when marriage is in view and date when marriage is in breach. And so, if you are a single, don't waste your singleness. Being so caught up about marriage. You can do so much now for our Lord. And you see, if you think about it, that time might not last because you might end up getting married but while you're single, don't waste it. The second thing to singles, learn contentment as a single. 
Learn contentment as a single. If you cannot find contentment as a single, then you won't find it when you get married because you're looking for contentment in the wrong place. You see, contentment and satisfaction and fulfilment in life does not come from a husband, does not come from a wife, but from being in Christ alone. You see, knowing when, even when life all falls apart, that I belong to Christ, that I am found in him and that God is my heavenly father, that is contentment, that is satisfaction, that is fulfilment, that is peace. Now, I asked one of the ladies again and, and this was what she said. I may not have always said this, but a joy or something that I'm very thankful for today about my singleness is that it continually teaches and reminds me to find my identity in Christ. God is most concerned about our hearts, not about our marital status. Now, of course, having said this, this is not to deny that it can be difficult in being single. There can be struggles. There will be struggles. There will be frustration without the opportunity to have a lifelong exclusive sexual relationship, without the opportunity of having children of your own. One of the ladies expressed, uh, she acknowledged this and she said, this is a grief that is often suffered in silence. And so the pain is real and it is okay to acknowledge that. And so if you do find singleness hard, if you find it a struggle, rather than being envious and bitter of friends and peers who do get married, well, friends will need to be sensitive as well, But what you can do is pray to God. Pray to God that God will help you see the state of life he's placed you in, the gift that he has given you. Pray to God that God will help you be content in your vocation. Pray to God that he'll give you comfort and joy in your life package. And also, if you like, you can, of course, pray to God to help you get married, give you a husband or wife. I know Yvonne, as a young girl, she prayed for a godly man way before she met me. Now she's stuck with me. So, of course, pray for contentment, pray for marriage if that is what you want. Pray and do you know what God has done? Well, you see, singleness does not equate to loneliness. Loneliness we see in Genesis is not good, but singleness is good. And so how do we make sense of that? How can loneliness in singleness be satisfied. What God has done is, what God has done is, He has given us all the community of the church family to satisfy that loneliness. And so, if you are single, then the church community is to satisfy that loneliness. And so, build, invest in in having good friends, deep friends, intimate friends, strong, lasting friends, lifelong friends from the church community. The church community is meant to be one big extended family where singles and everyone else is included in the family. Now, one of the ladies, she said something wise on this point. Now, I thought this was excellent. She said this. When things are hard, feeling undervalued, struggling to juggle all the demands of my time, grief related to not having my own children, ongoing engagement or pregnancy news from my friends, It's important to deal with these thoughts and disappointments rather than just sweep them under the carpet. 
I've been thankful to have one or two close friends who have been a great support, not afraid to ask how I'm travelling with my singleness and just listening well when it hurts or I have frustrations to share. And so singles here, don't waste your singleness and learn contentment. Now a word to the married. Two things as well. Firstly, singleness must be honoured. How do we married people honour singleness? How do we respect singleness? Well, we do so by not joking about it and also by not patronising them. I mean, if only he finds himself a wife, he'll start dressing normally. I'm sure there's a Mr. Right for her. Let me set you up with, with a blind date or just an outright, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you dating yet? I mean, I have to admit, I've been guilty of this in the past. I've joked with people insensitively and I have repented of that. I won't do it again. Don't joke. Be very conscious of how we honour singleness. Now, recently there was a, a, a girl who just broke up from a long-term relationship. One of her friends saw that she was sad and depressed after this breakup and she was thinking, let's set him up with another guy. And when she told me that, I said, no, 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 stop, don't do that. Let her find contentment in her singleness first. Let her find contentment because singleness is a good thing. And so married people here, honour singleness as a noble estate, just as we would honour Jesus who never married, just as we would honour Paul who was not married when he wrote this. Marriage is not a must, nor is it a should. And now, as your minister, those of you who are single amongst us, I want to say this, and I'm sure Chris will share the same words. We value you. We value your undivided devotion to God. You are a great asset. You are important. You are part of our family in every way in this church. You are highly valued. Never see differently. Never see that differently. And so, singleness must be honoured. And finally, second thing to the married. Singles must be included. Singles must be included. Now, if you are married, you are married for the service of God, to be devoted to the things of God, not to be so inward focused, so consumed by your own marriage or your own family that you forget the church community you were called to be a part of and to love and to share and to build up. And so what this means then is that if you are married, we need to remember that we don't unintentionally just hang around couples and married people and families, but that we include everyone equally in our hospitality. When we invite, do we include the singles amongst us? When we go on holidays, do we include them in our service? Are we just serving the couples or the married or the families or are we serving everyone? You see, when you do this, your life is enriched. It is blessed by God. We have some very close friends, Yvonne and myself, close single friends. They're great. Not only are they great when we need babysitting, but they've become like wonderful aunties to our three children. They've become part of our family. They come over for Christmas. Isn't that a richer life? You see, family is not just about the biological boundaries we have now. 
It is the wider church community God has blessed us with. And so singles must be included. And so what have we looked at today? Well, what we've seen today should really revolutionise the way we think about singleness. It is not everything. It is not anything. It is not nothing. It is a gift to be used in undivided devotion to God because the time is short and Christ is returning soon. Let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your good word and for making clear how we are to live a life that is so good when we obey you, when we honour marriage and we honour singles. We pray, Heavenly Father, for singles amongst us who find it difficult. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you might give them contentment and joy. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that all of us will not waste our lives but use it in undivided devotion to you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.